0: Thank you for being a part of the Listen for Life podcast. I am so honored and grateful to each of you who reach out and give wonderful feedback and tell me about your experiences and how some of these topics are striking close to home and how they help you feel supported. If you have been impacted by anything in these podcasts. I would be grateful if you would share this episode with a family member, a friend, someone who needs to hear that they are not alone. Be a part of building this community and supporting more people who have aphasia and for those living with conditions after a stroke. This week, we are talking about telepractice and aphasia treatment. This topic is timely, primarily because I'm presenting to the Texas Speech Language Hearing Association. I'm teaching a master class on telepractice and aphasia evaluation and treatment. I am so looking forward to the hands-on components of this course and giving maybe some new angles, some different tech. Techniques, some tips to support these clinicians who are working with the aphasia population.
1: Welcome to the Listen for Life podcast with Genevieve Richardson. Genevieve is a speech-language pathologist rehabilitating adults with communication challenges after a stroke or due to a neurological impairment. Living with aphasia is hard. Caregiving is hard. You are not alone. Get equipped with knowledge from experts in the field and professionals you need to know. We'll hear stories and experiences from others who are navigating life with aphasia. So, put your earphones in and take a walk outside. This isn't just a podcast. This is a community, a resource, and a support system. We're in this together. Do life.
0: So, we're going to dive into today's topic. But first, I'm going to tell you a little background about how I got started in telepractice. I met my mentor, Bill Connors, sometime early 2010. He and I built a relationship in that he was helping to coach me with a couple of my particularly challenging clients who had a dense aphasia and apraxia. I had taken Bill's course, Neuroplastic Principles of Adult Aphasia Rehabilitation. That course blew my mind. Bill was a pioneer in the field. He had a different angle. He had specialized for so long working with clients who had chronic aphasia. So chronic aphasia is anything after six months to a year. It depends on the literature that you read as to what that time frame is. But Bill had started his practice in 2005, seeing folks over the computer. He had such specialized skills that he thought he wasn't going to be limited to the Pittsburgh area. He really had a passion for supporting clients with chronic aphasia. And he did that over telepractice. So when I took this course from Bill, call it 2010, he literally had two different clients. I'm going to say Zoom in because that's the reference for 2023 for video conferencing that most people are familiar with. But he was using a different platform that is actually no longer in existence. All it provided was live in time video picture of him with the client so their pictures shared the screen and then they had a chat box and even though that was the limitation for the technology at that point he was still helping clients achieve and reach their goals because he was a real specialist in the field Fast forward to 2014. My family and I are now moving from California to Boston. I know what you're thinking, that is a big move, and it sure was. So luckily, again, Bill and I had stayed in contact for years and he brought me into his practice to start working with his clients in California. I worked for Bill for just over six years prior to his passing, and then I started Life Speech Pathology. So, technology has evolved over these almost nine years that I've been doing telepractice. When I started, we were on WebEx, which was more of a corporate platform, but what WebEx gave us was a whiteboard. Some of you who have used Zoom may not know what a whiteboard is, unless you work with a clinician that's using it, or you have personal experience, or you have kids or grandkids who have used the whiteboard on Zoom during the pandemic when everybody was at home under lockdown. So the whiteboard, I feel, revolutionized telepractice for adult treatment, We were now able to write words on the board. The client could annotate on the board. That means they could write, they could draw pictures, they could use an arrow to point. We were able to have a shared reference. We were able to put on their strategies and goals and their homework. And they were physically able to print out these PDF whiteboards after the session and continue to practice at home. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of background about how I got into telepractice and you can maybe tell from my enthusiasm, I'm passionate about it, but let's talk into talk a little more about the nitty gritty of telepractice. But before we do that, I specifically want to set the stage and define some terms because I want to make sure You are understanding what I'm saying when I throw out these terms. Aphasia, that is a condition that can impair speaking, listening, reading, or writing. It impacts all forms of general communication. So let's talk about in general, how does a person think? How does a person even come up with their words for what they want to say? There's a whole lot more to this, but I'll just give you a quick thumbnail sketch. First, you have to have a thought. A thought can be an image. It can be a feeling. It can be a sensation. You then have to take that thought and turn it into a concept. What is it about that thought? If it started as a feeling, how do you conceptualize it? Is it good? Is it bad? You start to make judgments about that thought in the form of a concept. From there, you take the concept and you start applying meaning to it. So if it's, let's call it a bodily need, the urgency to get to the restroom perhaps. So you have the thought, you have the body feeling, now you have the concept like, "Uh uh-oh, I better get going. And now the meaning is, You need to communicate to the people around you to help you get to the restroom on time. Then you move to intention. In this example, the intention is get your need across so that someone can help you if you were to need it to get to the restroom in time and then you have to take it to the word level. Is it one word level? Is it a gesture? Is it pointing to a word on a communication board? If the person is verbal, now they have to be concerned with putting the words in order. And from there, intonation. If it's something urgent, the intonation, how the words come out You know, does it sound urgent or does it sound like, oh, it can happen in the next half an hour? That's intention. And then from there, the final step of conveying a message is articulation. How do you take the words in your head and program your mouth to make the sounds that are added together to form the words? And that's how we get a message. So some examples of language impairments, again, this is not an exhaustive list. I'm just trying to give an overview. Someone may have difficulty understanding simple messages like lift your leg, put your hand here, swallow again. Stick out your tongue, whatever. They may have difficulty saying the words, I'm thirsty. They may have difficulty assigning pronouns to a sentence. Like if they're referring to their daughter, you know, she is home. They might say, he, instead of she, and they're not going to necessarily know that they're not saying it right. They might have issues understanding written words or remembering words, like the tip of the tongue. Have you ever been so tired or you've been sick where you knew there was something you were trying to say and you just couldn't think of the word and you had to talk around it or the person listening to you had to help. So there's lots of different components to having a language impairment. Aphasia and language are complex and it impacts each person differently, but what can be done? So this is where I propose that telepractice is a natural progression from the normal rehab process of acute inpatient, of acute rehab, home health, outpatient, and then I would add telepractice on after that. So telepractice is video conferencing by basic definition. There's lots of different platforms out there. Zoom is the one I'm going to be referring to today. I've been using Zoom for boy, three plus years and I just love it. But who is a candidate for telepractice? I would argue someone needs to be motivated. They need to have some basic technology at home. They need to be the owner of a tablet like an iPad, a laptop or a desktop. They need to have a strong enough internet connection. Luckily, Zoom doesn't need a whole lot of bandwidth and we can get away with not a less than ideal, but a reduced bandwidth, which allows us to reach through the internet to more rural communities that may not have, you know, heavy coverage. Who else is a candidate? They are willing to be challenged. They are willing to deal with possibly a little bit of frustration because in the beginning, someone with aphasia, we need to get them up to speed with telepractice and troubleshooting because invariably something will go wrong, but it's not the end of the world. (laughs) When I teach telepractice to grad students or to other speech pathologists, I use the concept of begin with the end in mind. That comes from Stephen Covey. The idea is we need to know what is required for telepractice. We need to screen people. We need to set them up for success and we need to keep reinforcing that success. So the exact process I use at Life Speech Pathology, we start with a phone consult. After we talk about what their goals are, what they want to accomplish in therapy, our next big topic is technology. I need to know what equipment they have, who's at home to support them, how comfortable they are with it. All of these kinds of things. I will not do therapy on an iPhone. The screen is too small. So I referenced a whiteboard earlier. I'm going to use a whiteboard and it needs to be, you know, the font size on it has to be big enough that it's easy for them to read. And an iPhone's not going to do it. So if the iPhone is the only option, then that makes them not a great candidate for telepractice. So I know early on, before we even get to scheduling an evaluation, you know, what our success is going to be. I have a sense of not only who that person is and where they want to get to in treatment, I know whether technology is going to be useful for us. My next step after that consult is they receive a telepractice setup guide and troubleshooting. It's only 15 pages, but what I have in there is the step-by-step process for setting up your computer at home for finding the table in the house and the chair and working on your lighting and making sure you have your plug-in available, you know, so that your computer is powered, especially if it's a laptop nothing worse than having your computer die right in the middle of a telepractice session. So this telepractice guide walks them through, whether they have a Mac or a windows computer for that success. So that's just the second component in begin with the end in mind for telepractice training. The third component I would say, has to do with the day of the evaluation. We're going to do a couple of quick things on Zoom just to get them comfortable, work out some of the bugs, and sometimes they come on with a little bit of nerves. The third thing is once we get into treatment, I'm going to build some of the Zoom skills into their treatment, whether it's Writing on the whiteboard, whether it's using an arrow tool, whether it's using the laser pointer, whether it's, uh, writing on top of a Google page, whatever it is, I don't write a separate goal for it per se, but I do actively incorporate those skills into my treatment. So I obviously am a big supporter of telepractice. I've gone through all these steps begin with the end in mind, setting my new client up for success with telepractice. But what if it's not working out? What if it's overwhelming? What if they're not responding positively to treatment? What are my ethical obligations as a clinician? Well, first, I need to have the hard conversation. I talk about the elephant in the room Mr. Jones, we've been working for a couple of weeks and I've noticed that X, Y, and Z, whatever the case may be, I need to make sure that he understands what I'm seeing. And maybe it's just a miscommunication. Maybe it's just we have to recalibrate and set up our expectations or find a different angle for success. But the point is, I don't keep doing treatment if I'm noticing it's not working, if they're not engaged, if they're not participating, if there's just a lot of troubleshooting that is needed and they don't have help at home. These are all reasons for reassessing the application of telepractice. And perhaps it means we need to make a referral to more of a brick and mortar Practice and that is okay not every person is a candidate for telepractice just like not every person is a candidate for intensive aphasia treatment I always fall back on the phrase you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink I had to learn a long time ago as a clinician that even though I'm enthusiastic for what we're working on and the progress they're making, if they are not self-motivated, I can't reach their goals for them. The family, the spouse, the partner, can't help them reach those goals. So in conclusion on that point, not everyone is a fit for telepractice, and that's okay. It's up to us to find the next clinician for them if that's what they want. Let's talk real quick about advantages of telepractice. We can now reach people anywhere in the world via Zoom. Another advantage, family members, friends, caregivers who are not immediately in the house can still participate in the treatment via Zoom. I can put 50 people on my Zoom if I was so inclined to do so. It's a great way of incorporating the family, doing family education and training. Another advantage is clients can now get specialized services. They don't have to settle for just the services because that's what's available you know, two miles away from their home, now they can be more selective and find the clinician that fits what they need for therapy. Disadvantages. Well, disadvantages are not having the technology, not having a good enough internet speed, not having an e-helper at home, someone who is supportive. So again, as the clinician in those early contacts with a potential client, we assess for all of that. So I want to talk real quick about neuroplasticity and why I think technology and telepractice is a great fit for neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity has to do with stimulating brain connections and growth and mental flexibility. Technology definitely gives us mental flexibility. I have found that the older I get, the less flexible I am wanting to learn new things, mostly because I'm so busy now. I used to be one of those people that I would wait for the Apple keynote every year to come out so I could see what the latest and greatest was. I would follow along. I would practice. I would teach other people. I was way into it to say the very least. Now I am guilty of passing my iPhone to one of my kids and saying, can you just fix this for me? So neuroplasticity, having to learn something new, learning how to log into a Zoom session, to annotate on the whiteboard, to do things such as what I call keyboarding. That means that it's just a fancy word for typing. Nowadays, technology is in everything we do. Most people don't even have a cable box anymore. They use their internet connection and they have something like Netflix or Roku. They have Amazon Prime, whatever the case may be. They are used to texting on their cell phones. They're used to emailing. They're used to getting on the web and surfing for what they want or shopping. Keyboarding is here to stay. We are in technology. Even great grandmothers and fathers have learned how to Zoom over time, especially over these last two and a half years since the beginning of the pandemic. Telepractice is just another natural extension of that technology. So let's talk real quick about coverage by insurance. Currently, and fingers crossed that it continues. Medicare does pay for telepractice service, and all of the major insurance companies do as well. Again, I think the responsible thing to do and the ethical thing to do as a speech pathologist, we have to pre screen who is a good candidate for telepractice. We will lose our privilege of insurance reimbursement for telepractice if we are putting people into telepractice that are not benefiting. They're not reaching their goals. We're not referring them off to another clinic if that's what is needed. We have to be responsible and make sure that telepractice is the right delivery method. How do you find a speech pathologist Who does telepractice? Well, lean on Google, do a search on Google, type in the words, aphasia therapy telepractice or aphasia therapy telepractice speech pathology or language therapy after stroke telepractice. Think of all what those keywords could be and type them in in different combinations and see what pops in, the next step would be to reach out to those clinics, check out their website first, see what they talk about. Do they talk about the telepractice process? Do they give examples of uh, successful clients, clients reaching their goals via telepractice? Look at their testimonials. See if you can get a sense of what that clinic is about and the therapists that work there. Get on a phone consult, you know, call the office, see if there's a consult, talk to the front desk person, ask your questions. Maybe you are concerned if telepractice would be a good fit for you because you're three years after a stroke. You may be wondering if you even qualify for treatment because you're three years after a stroke. Ask the clinician, get on the phone, get on a zoom with that clinician and explore those possibilities. It is so fun to meet someone new on a consult call for myself. I'm speaking only personally where they have been turned down for therapy, whether it's because their insurance ran out or because their therapist said they reached a plateau or they just don't feel like they were gelling with their therapist and they didn't have another option available. Well, number one, I love, love, love to give hope to a potential client. There is no guarantees. Since when is there ever a guarantee in anything that we do? But that initial consult You as the stroke survivor or the family member of that stroke survivor, you're going to know if that clinician, if that clinic is going to serve you and maybe you need, uh, beyond a phone call, maybe you need a quick zoom consult. Ask for what you need. Please advocate for yourself. Ask the questions, explore options. I'm going to wrap up this episode and with my soapbox about plateaus. I don't believe in plateaus for aphasia, praxia, dysarthria, cognitive therapy. Many of the clients that have found my practice are years after a stroke. There is always another way, another angle, another clinician. Sometimes it's just a mindset getting rid of some bad habits that have come along that open up the possibility of reaching goals. We still, as speech pathologists, have to be goal-directed. We can utilize the power of telepractice to incorporate interests, websites, activities that our clients love. Oh, I almost forgot the most important part, probably the part that is more meaningful to you in this episode. Let me give you a few different examples of how I use telepractice to reach client goals. So I'm going to talk about one client. Boy, we've worked on a lot of things over time, but I will say One of his primary goals was getting better with numbers. Initially, he had trouble just hearing a number and understanding what it meant. If he saw it written down, whether it was typed or handwritten, he knew exactly what it was. He had that concept, but if he heard it, it was a no-go. So we utilized various websites. He is working and we utilized industry-specific websites where there were numbers. We could get the prices of goods and services. We could look at shipping costs. And we could process numbers in every different way imaginable. That is That was super fun. Also, geography was very important to this client, whether it's uh, traveling or a route or going from Amsterdam to South America. We could use maps, Apple maps on the computer, and we could look at the route. I could have him uh, remote share my screen and have him type in, you know, the starting and the ending destinations. Then we could talk about the route. We could talk about distance. Then we could still incorporate in numbers. We could talk about days of travel. We could talk about weather. It was fun, interesting, functional, and appropriate for what he did every day at his job. Let me give you another example. One of my clients has difficulty putting sounds together into words and then taking those words and putting them together into full sentences. Early on in her treatment, I utilized telepractice to record snippets of our sessions so that she had that to practice. So we would write out all of our content, what we were working on that day, words or phrases, sentences, whatever it was, we'd write that out on the whiteboard. Then I would write down the strategies that we were focusing on also on the whiteboard, and then we'd make a little recording of us practicing and utilizing the strategies and those word that content. So then she had those recordings so that she could take those PDF whiteboards that she had that she received after the session and continue to practice until our next session. That would be a little harder to do if you were just in person treating someone. The recording availability, it it just makes it so convenient to carry over what you're working on in the session. And I'm going to finish with one more quick example. One of my clients, he also needs to work on his ability to put sounds and words and numbers together together one of his favorite hobbies is cooking so we would often uh go on the websites of his favorite chefs and i would you know pull up their website and there'd be say six thumbnails with the titles of recipes he could pick one of those recipes on there that he wanted i'd open it up i'd save it as a pdf and have it on the screen so that he could see it. And then using annotation, that's, that just means writing, whether it's me writing or him writing, we could do things like identifying verbs in the sentence. We could work on measurements like one quarter cup or two teaspoons. We could take his favorite chef's recipes, work on them individually based on whatever component we needed to focus on that day or whatever our goal was. And then we can make a recording. He'd have the PDF. He'd have the recording. And then he could practice on his own at home and be ready for the next session. We'd come on the next session. We'd review a little bit from the day before, check his carryover, tweak anything we needed to, reinforce strategies, And then we could keep moving forward with his goals. Those are just three very simplistic examples of how the power of telepractice can help clients reach their personal goals using content that is meaningful to them. I remember back in the day when I was doing home care therapy, I loved home therapy because I then had content and important things, you know, right at my fingertips in their home, whether it was going to the refrigerator with the person and generating a grocery list or using their phone in the house and their phone and address book or speed dial on their phone and being able to dial the telephone. I love that. The hardest part for me in my career was doing outpatient therapy Where basically it's a sterile environment. The only things we really had to work with were the therapy manuals and picture cards or tools or office supplies that I had in my office. Unless the person brought in stuff from home with them. I always felt like there was a bit of a disconnect with that. But if we're trying to work on functional motivational therapy, I just think telepractice is a great way to go. Okay. Now I promise I'm wrapping this up. I appreciate each of you for listening each week. Thank you for your feedback. I greatly appreciate you. Please share this episode or a different episode with your friends and family and know that we are here for you on your journey with aphasia and stroke recovery. Have an amazing week and we'll talk soon.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Listen for Life podcast. We hope you feel empowered and supported. Head over to listenforlifepodcast.com to see the show notes with links and information from today's episode. Do you have a topic, a resource to share, or a guest recommendation? Inquiring minds want to know. Let us know in the comments section. Wishing you a fabulous week.